Okay, so we are in reviewing, we are in the Lord's Prayer, just to review. We are on verse 11, which is, give us this day our daily bread. But you know me that we have to do a little review before we get to that verse. So I want you to all turn to your picture with the watering pail. Because right now we are smack dab in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And things are happening that I want you to realize because as John MacArthur said, and I quoted this before, in fewer than 70 words we find a masterpiece of the infinite mind of God. Who alone could compress every conceivable element of true prayer into such a simple form? Now, he goes on to say, and I want you to get this part, because right now, if you're looking at your watering can, there's a line, okay? And on top of the, the front, the top line, it says, uh, the first half of the Lord's Prayer is God-centered. Are you all there on the left? And then the second half of the, of the prayer is centered on man's need. So we're moving from giving God honor and glory to now talking about our needs. And let me just say, it's not an accident that we have to get to who God is before we get to what we need, okay? That's not an accident. So we're saying, so John MacArthur says, this prayer can be outlined to show the balance of God's glory with our need. Because the next three requests are all about our need, okay? Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, and lead us not into temptation. Okay, so those are the things that are coming out right here. There's a balance there. Um, the threefold prayer to hallow, to hallow God's name, to bring his kingdom into being, and to do his will. Okay, so, and then we have, those are the three things that we talked about. Now we have the three things the approach, um, we have three things that he talks about now. Our physical needs, our emo emotional and, uh, um, what do we say, emotional and mental needs, and then the last one is our spiritual needs. Those are the three that are going to be, give us this day, our daily bread, forgive us, and then lead us, okay? Those are, and they correspond, like I said, this is a genius, this prayer is genius, okay? Um, also, these next three are going to deal with the present, which is today. Give us today this our daily bread. Forgive us is our past. And lead us is our future. So isn't that cool? If you think about it, how cool Jesus was in saying all that. But, of course, you know, he's, he's pretty awesome. Um, okay, so... This is just a brief sampling in the which of the ways uh, Jesus' magnificent diamond of a prayer can be cut. Um, so we move from our focus on God solely to the present state in this prayer. The next three petitions involve, like I said, body, soul, and spirit. Our physical, our mental and emotional, and our spirit. Um, and they also dwell, like I mentioned before, saying one more time, present, the past, and the future. Uh, David Guzik says the right kind of prayer will freely bring its own needs to God. It, this will include needs for daily provision, forgiveness, and strength in the face of temptation. So what we're at, we get, we're getting now to the asking part, okay? 
before we were just reveling in how great God was, understanding that he's somebody that has every one of our prayer requests and he, he's more than able, okay? And we were moving our heads from getting on our agenda, which we are, we wake up every morning with our agenda, you know that. So we have to get to his agenda, that's, you know, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's now we're on his agenda. Now he's saying, come, 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 come. Come and ask whatever you, come, come ask your, what, what do you need? Come. That's what he's saying at this point. So remember Spurgeon's closing thoughts, which we closed last week, and I sent it out to you guys. Um, oh, brothers, let us live as we shall wish we had lived when this life is over. Let us fashion a life that will bear the light eternal. Let us aim at a life which will outlast the fires and shall try that try every man's work. If I have moved any person to the resolve, I will so then live. I have not spoken in vain. I have at least stirred myself with the intense desire to cast off the mere outsides the husks of life, and to ripen the real kernel of my being. Thy will by me be done on earth, as yet, my Lord, I hope to do it in the skies. May I begin here a life worthy to be perpetuated in eternity. So that's our mindset. We're going to close. We're, that's his mindset, and I'm, I'm grasping at straws, but that's, that should be our mindset in coming halfway through this prayer so now we get to ask, but that's, that's, our, that's our agenda right here, is that we live a life that is pleasing to him, that only really looks at what he, he's up to, and, and so now he says, okay, now go ask. Okay, now that we've got you where you need to be, we filtered, if you look at your picture, a lot of stuff out of your prayers, now ask. And so he starts a with ask. What are we asking? Okay. Um, so in my words, my translation of Spurgeon's quote is, let me live a life worthy of your greatness, inspired by my king, committed to his kingdom so I can follow his plans, his wills, his ways. Now, let me just say, when I retired, there's one annoying question that people ask you. If you've been retired, you know what this is. They all look at you and say, so what are you going to do now? Yeah. Right? Because like everything meaningful is now that you've ever done, like I was a guidance counselor, that would be over. And, and so they're, they're all anticipating you saying, I'm going to watch soap operas and eat bonbons. You know, like that is like, like <laughs> I would have never done that at any time in point of my life. But anyway, so I, I was asking uh, one of Rebecca's friends, this is years ago, I said, so what do you do? Because, you know, I'm always interested. I, as, a career, as a career guidance counselor, I always ask about careers. So anyway, so his answer, which is now my answer when people say that to me, was um, I stand and I serve at the pleasure of the king. <laughs> so <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I, like a 20-something said that. And then I was like, so then I'm like, well, what do you really do, you know? <laughs> but he, that was his, and he would not change, and he wouldn't go anywhere. I stand and I serve at the pleasure of my king. 
So honestly, ladies, that's where we are. Whether you're retired or not, you stand and serve at the pleasure of the great king. Okay, so let's, uh, my introduction today is from Matthew Henry, who writes, Give us this day our daily bread, because our natural being is necessary to our spiritual well-being in the world. Therefore, after the things of God's glory, his kingdom, and his will, we pray for the necessary supports of this present life, which are the gifts of God and must be asked of him. So, my first number one point is give us this day... Um, my number one point is God is our provider, if you look at our picture, or benefactor. Um, the, old, the song says, you know, Jehovah Jireh is my provider. That's what we're talking about. Um, so give us is what I want us to talk about first. Uh, we claim nothing. Uh, this is David Guzak again. We claim nothing of right, but only free mercy. Basically, he's saying, we don't deserve anything. What we deserve, ladies, really is hell, okay? That's what we deserve in ourselves. Um, but uh, he says, um, but God loves us freely. Therefore, we ask him to give what we can't procure for ourselves and nothing that we can really merit. <laughs> it all comes from him. Um, so I, I love that quote. He says, not either the, um, and he, he goes on to say, you know, obviously, and I'm going to say this, but I don't really have to say this, and that is, you know, we don't stand there and, and don't not work because we're waiting for him to drop manna from the skies. Um, he, wants, he wants us to have industry. Um, James said, you know, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. You know, that's kind of a balance there. Um, but the bottom line is that we are to look to him as a good giver. Um, so let's think about that for a minute. Acts 17, 24, and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man or is served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives, that's his MO, he's a giver, to all mankind, life and breath and everything. So I'm just saying, you know, when you, we, saw, we told the joke about being needy, you know. Um, we're needy. Um, God is not needy. God is the giver and we're the getter, okay. In this equation that he's bringing in the Lord's Prayer, he is the provider for us. And he not only is he the provider, he delights in providing. So let me give you some more scriptures. James 1.17. Every, not few, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. Here, here we see Father of lights. Who, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Philippians 4.19, you guys all know this one. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. David writes in Psalms 37.25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have never, see, never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. 
God's a good God. Uh, Philippians 4, 5, and 7, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And I include 5 because it has a really neat part in it that we don't talk about much when we, we get right to the anxious part. You know, just trade out your anxiety for prayer. But listen to what comes right before that. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here it is. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the Lord is at hand. See, I can, when my, I've told you this story a million times, when your kids are scared because of lightning and thunder, they don't want an explanation, they want you at hand. And you being at hand, knowing that you're there, for them is enough. They don't care. They know that you are going to, it's kind of like I said before, with my husband being my dive partner. Jim wanted to be my dive partner. I said, oh no, you can't be my dive partner. Because I'm not sure that you will put yourself between the shark and me. <laughs> Whereas I'm pretty sure that my husband will. <laughs> so, I mean, because I need somebody, if I'm going to go something creepy, like go 100 feet under in the water and big things are down there, I want to have somebody at hand. Okay, and God is a God who is at hand. In fact, we are... This is what prayer is, is our tether into his presence. It's this great communion that we have uh, where we can enjoy this fellowship and we can be one with him as Jesus was one with him. Like, that'll blow your mind away. Okay, so God is, so my first point was God is our provider or benefactor. He is Jehovah Jireh. Um, A in that is God is a good giver. We know this. God's a good giver. I just gave you all those verses. Uh, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, my point B is God is a good giver like any good father. And it's lo lovely because this kind of prayer request that he's saying, give us this day our daily bread, kind of is reminiscent and it brings us back to the Our Father lesson. Um, because there's a lot of father verses um, that I want you to, I want to share with you. These are great. These are little gems for you to treasure and look at later. Um, so Matthew 6, you know, remember we're in Matthew 6 for the Lord's Prayer. He goes on to say, because he's still describing who God is, this great Father. And he says, therefore I tell you, and I'm on verses 25 through 34, and you can turn there if you want, because um, it's a long one. So, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, God is saying right here that it's not bad that you're concerned about things, but I want you to know that I'm concerned about things, so you don't have to be, Okay? It's a, he's got this, and it's about us trusting. Um, so keep going. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap nor they gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the clothes, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Or, O oh ye of oh little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall I eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, here's a, here's a 411 for you, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's like one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Um, so our first point was that God is our provider because he's the giver. It says, give us this day. A was God is a good giver. B was God is a good giver like any good father. My second point is, if God is a benefactor or a provider, then we, point two, are the beneficiary. And our attitude, if you look at your watering panel, is one of dependence. God wants us to look to him as a good father who will take care of our needs. He wants us to want him. He set this whole thing up. Now, R.C. Sproul writes, Why does Jesus place such emphasis on daily bread? I think he did so primarily to, to teach us that we need to acknowledge our dependence on the providence of God to sustain us day to day. He was saying that we should live in a daily dependence on the provision of God, and that's the petition of the Lord's Prayer. And it teaches us to come to God in a spirit of humble dependence, asking him to provide what we need and to sustain us day to day. We are not given license to ask for great riches, but we are encouraged to make our needs known to him, trusting that he will provide. I am just saying there's this beautiful picture, again, of us being a child and sometimes we, are, we miss it because, you know, in our world, you know, we're supposed to be this woman who does everything. It's self-sufficient. I don't need this. I don't need that. I can do it myself. Um, and God's saying, you're, oh, I made you. And the child of God self that you are, Denise, is a little child, is a little child. So there's two examples of this. The first example is one I already gave you in that other lesson. And that is um, the point uh, that if God's a father, then we're the child. And Christian maturity doesn't negate childlikeness. It doesn't. And remember I had the quote of my two, my two giants. It said, my, I'm going to read it one more time because it's so good. Mr. J. Hudson Taylor well reminds us that while in nature the normal order of growth is from childhood to manhood, 
and so to maturity, in grace, the true development is perpetually backwards towards the cradle. We must become and continue as little children, not losing but rather gaining childlikeness in spirit. And the disciple's maturest manhood is only the perfection of his childhood. George Muller was never so really, truly, truly, fully a little child in all his relations to his father as when he was in the 93rd year of his age. So I want you to know that he wants us to be children, and he's okay with that. Um, we need to be taught, just like Rebecca teaches Eli, I need help. That's what we teach him to say, I need help, because he's like pulling things apart, because he can't do stuff, because he's little. I'm just telling your Heavenly Father is looking down on you and saying the same thing, do you need some help? <laughs> Could you ask? Because here's the deal about asking for help. That's when you really decide that you can't do it. Mm. That's not even in my notes, but that's really good. Somebody write that down for me, I'm gonna add it later. <laughs> Because here's, we don't want that, that going around the town, that we're needy. And that's with an N, not a K. <laughs> okay, so that's our first example. Our first example is Christian maturity does not negate childlikeness. Our second example is really the example of the wilderness wanderings, okay, uh, and manna. You got to know we're going to have to get to manna in this verse because it's just it, it's just meant to be. So if you want to turn to Exodus 16, I'm going to read excerpts because I don't want to read the entire chapter. But this is the story, as you know, the children of Israel cry out to God for help. God listens, sends Moses. Moses gets them out of slavery, and they're, now they're in the desert, and they're hungry, and they're complaining a lot, okay? So in Exodus 16, I'm going to start in verse 10. Like I said, I'm going to skip around a little bit. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. So that's the cool part. And then here's what the cloud said. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to her, what, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. And you shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. So skip down. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But when they did not listen to Moses, because you know that was going to happen, right? They left some left part of it to the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them morning, 
By morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now, skip down, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like a coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Now, I'm, I'm interested, when we get to heaven, to have me a little bit of manna. Because that sounds so, I mean, you guys got bread here, but that sounds even better than homemade bread. So, and in fact, it was such a big deal that that was one of the few things that actually Moses told to Aaron, take a bit of that and put it in the Ark of the Covenant to remind everyone that God shall supply all your needs. So the whole, what is the point of the banner story? Well, the point, you, as you know, is that you had to, you only got enough for the day. And if you took more, then it turned maggoty and nasty, okay? Because God wanted you to look to him daily to meet your needs. Now, has God changed? I don't think so. Now, so fast forward 40 years later, they've been in this wilderness. God has been faithful. Moses is right now on the plains looking into the promised land, which he's not going to set foot in. And he is summarizing what has happened. And that summary of what has happened is called Deuteronomy. It's the second telling of the law. That's what Deutero means too. Okay, so he, in this summary, tells the children of Israel what God's point was for the manna, which is very salient to our lesson today. And this is actually the same point that Jesus used when Satan was tempting him, okay? So get back, so flip over a few, four, three block books, Deuteronomy 8, and I'm gonna read samplings of this too because I can't read the whole thing. But you guys, go back and read it. It's awesome. Um, so I'm going to start in one, I'm going to do 1 through 6, then 9 through 14, and then 16 and 18. 1 through 6. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall, does anybody see that word? Remember, keep that in your head, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. Okay, he's starting to tell us what all this was about. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. See that, what's God's will? God's will was that they would be hungry and then he fed you manna, which you did not know or your fathers knew. Here's, underline this part. He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Your clothing didn't wear out on you. Your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, here's that father picture, the Lord your God disciplines you. And so you would keep the commandments of your Lord by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Now, skip down. That you possess a land which you will eat bread without scarcity. 
in which you will lack nothing, dot, 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 and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. And then here's the warning. Take care lest you forget that the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have have eaten and are full. Here's now, when you're eaten and are full, this is, you're in a danger zone. And have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, here's the danger, that your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Dot, dot, dot who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you. Is everybody there? To do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand has gotten me all this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers this day. So the problem that Israel had is the same problem that we have, and that is that our hearts are lifted up. And we look around when we are full and satisfied, and we say to ourselves, oh, I'm a good provider. Okay, so I'm just saying that was the whole point of 40 years. If we, we and thank, thank, thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to walk 40 years in the desert to learn this lesson. It's right here. He's saying, you need to come to me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So let me just say, the problem that the Israels, and by the way, this was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Israel did exactly this. They walked into this, these houses that were already made, and they forgot. Just read the period of the judges. It's not pretty. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. He forgot all these commandments, okay? But let me tell you something that I want you to know, because we're, we don't like being needy. We don't like that whole point when he says, let's be dependent on him. Because, you know, we're like Emily when she was three. She'd put her hand on a hip and she'd say, I do it myself. <laughs> That's what she'd say. She would say that loudly. Pride can't coexist with dependency. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7b. By the way, BTW, he's not saying that. BTW, what do you have that you did not receive? Because the, the Corinthians were thinking they were hot stuff. And he's looking at them, excuse me? Excuse me? What do you have that you did not receive? And then he goes on to say, and then if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, let me just say, there's a real point for us here. If we want to ask God for our bread, our, you know, all the things, we got to realize that I need some help. We got to be like Eli. 
and get to the point where I say, I can't do it, I need you. And we don't like that point, but who cares? That's where we need to be because that's really where we are. Um, and let me just tell you, if you're all, most of you guys are parents. You saw that look on their face when they get all mad when they can't do something, you know? And God's looking at us saying the same thing. When are you going to just say, you know, I give. I need you. Why do you? Why do you? It's pride. Pride is a bad thing. Just saying. Okay, but that was another lesson. Spurgeon rec records, nor did the manna cease until they came into the land of Cana, where they ate the corn of the land and had no need for miraculous supplies. The hunger which was thus supplied had its design. For as hunger tames the wild and savage beasts, so this was sent to humble the proud and carnal minds of the Israelites, an object of no mean importance. That's lesson number one, Spurgeon says. But it's not all the lesson, he says. But then that was not the only lesson. The Lord taught them that the sustaining power by which man's life is preserved is not necessarily found in one substance like bread, but it is dependent upon the word of God. It is true that bread nourishes, but really there is no power of any sort anywhere but in God. So let me read you my cool take. Well, this is, this is Jesus, you know, is getting tested by Satan. He's in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights without food. So Satan comes, slithers up to him, and it says, I'm in Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. See, God wanted the Israelites and us to learn that the real lesson was not to look down for the manna, but to look up to the God who gives the manna. And many times we are still looking down, ladies, to trying to find whatever it is to fill whatever need. And we look at all these things, and God said, I have created you with a God-shaped vacuum. His name is Jesus Christ, and that is all that you will ever need. So he said he wants the Israelites to look up for food, not down. And he wants the same for us. Jesus wants us to look to our Father in heaven for all of our needs. In a house full of food, when you have a toddler that, and this is funny because I remember this so clearly, Chrissy could not open the refrigerator. Now the other two could, and they would almost like, na 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 I go in, I go out, I go out. She would have to ask me for food because she couldn't get food for herself. Okay, and God says the same thing. Why don't you ask me? Why don't you ask me? I'm your source. I'm your source. Quit looking down. Look up. Um, okay, so sometimes it's just that simple. Jesus said we need to be like children, and we need to remember this because the whole point is that we are dependent. Okay, 
God wants the Israelites um, to look up and not up for food, not down. Uh, and let's just say he wants us to be children. Matthew, uh, Matthew 18, 2 and 3 says, He called a little child to him, and he placed the little child among them. And I can just see this because I can see my little Eli. He's almost two. Um, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So your dependency is required, just saying. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, ask. It's a great praying verse. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receives. And anyone who seeks, finds. And to anyone who knocks, it will be opened. Here's, get this part. For which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, he would give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I'm just saying, we have got a God that loves us that much. He, just like I move heaven and earth. Like yesterday, I was watching Eli because my kids were sick. And so my husband was working. And Eli likes to go on a boat. I'm grandma boat, remember? And so I said to my husband, well, we're going to go on the boat. He says, Tibby, I'm working. And I said, well, I said, are we going to have lunch? And he said, well, Yeah. I get lunch. I said, good, we'll have it on the boat. <laughs> because why? Because I know Eli wanted to go on the boat. And I was like, I, that's, that's me as a grandma boat. I was going to make that happen. Well, if that's me, just imagine how God loves to give you good gifts. And he loves when we finally get the aha moment and thank him, not whatever it is that he used to give you the good gift. Okay, so our third point is our daily bread and that's the schedule what's god's schedule for giving good gifts well it would be every day it's daily em bounds records remember he's the famous guy on prayer when we pray give us this day our daily bread we are in a measure shutting tomorrow out of our prayers because remember this is the prayer about the present we do not live in tomorrow but in today we do not seek tomorrow's grace or tomorrow's bread, yet they thrive best and get the most out of life who are living in the present. They pray best when they pray for today's needs, not tomorrow's. True prayers are born of present trials and present needs. Bread for today is bread enough. Bread given for today is the strongest sort of pledge that there will be bread for tomorrow. Our prayers need to be focused on the present. We must trust God today and leave tomorrow entirely with him. The present is ours. The future belongs to God. Prayer is the task and the duty of each recurring day. Daily prayer for daily needs. 
So the schedule for our daily bread would be obviously daily. <laughs> now this interesting, this word daily, give us to say our daily bread is called, is epinosia. And guess what? There's only two times it's used in the entire New Testament here and in Luke eleven three, which is Luke's rendition of the Lord's prayer. In fact, they couldn't, when they, the commentators, the real smart dead guys, looking around, they couldn't even find that word mentioned in classical Greek literature. So um, Origen testifies that the word is not of any use in ordinary speech and accordingly seems to have been coined by the evangelists themselves. So I'm just saying they made up this word daily <laughs> so that we could understand this better and actually the word means the bread of our necessity that's what it really means ne necessary for us it means it has the connotation of continual it's piously contented with food sufficing from one day to the next in praying to god for sustenance it does not go beyond the absolute necessity of the nearest future. In other words, it's just for today. David Brown translates the daily bread to be the bread of subsistence. And so the sense is, and his translation is, give us this day the bread which this day's necessities require. And let us not rob ourselves out of morbid spirituality of our one petition in this prayer for the bodily provision which the immediate sequel of this discourse shows that our Heavenly Father has so much at his heart. In limiting our petitions, however, to provision for the day, what a spirit of childlike dependence does the Lord both demand and beget. Now it's interesting, what happened is, so Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And the early church fathers, you know, because like I said, they, were, they made a few mistakes, okay? So they were like, that's just too plain. He must mean spiritual bread, okay? And they must really be talking about, you know, God, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And, and by the way, our ordinance is communion, which is sharing and breaking of the bread. And so they got all spiritual about this. Um, and then it wound up being the reformers. Uh, Luther and Calvin said, I, that's absurd. That is absurd. Jesus meant bread. <laughs> he meant physical bread for physical needs. That's what he's talking about here. And it's interesting because I was also thinking about, oh, like I did a lot of research on Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, and I, you know, I was ready to go there. And then, I, then Luther said I was absurd <laughs> to think that. <laughs> so, and Calvin rightly said about such interpretations, which fail to see God's interest in everyday things, this, he says, is exceedingly absurd. Calvin said that. God does care about everyday things, and we should pray about them. So I'm giving that to you. God does care about praying for a parking spot. Okay, you can do that. And, and don't feel like, let me just say, a lot of times people say, oh, you can't pray for that. 
God is such a good God, and he's so powerful. It's not like if you get the parking spot that people in China are going hungry. He can do it all, okay? It's not like he gets to, he's choosing, okay, no parking spot, can't park for that. He wants to be included on every part of your daily life. When I go to Publix, and every once in a while I'll buy something that I very rarely buy, and it's on my list and I go there and it's BOGO, I know it's him. I know it's him. I'm like, yes, Lord, yes. <laughs> because he cares about our daily needs. And he's okay with that. He's a, he's a good father. We need to realize that. Now, we went through the first half of this prayer so we get how big God is and how holy he is and awesome he is and that he's the king and he's going to come again and, you know, all of that, but he's still our father and we can come to him with our needs and he's okay with that. And in fact, he says, do it. He didn't skip over this part. Okay, so let me keep reading. Oh, so John Wesley writes, our daily bread. This word we render daily has been differently explained by many commentators. He's referring to all those other guys. But the most plain and natural sense of it seems to be this, which is retained in almost all of the translations as well um, is what is sufficient for this day and for each day as it succeeds. Okay, that's what he... So the schedule for us praying, we should pray every day for what we need that day. Okay, are we on that board for that? So we are to take no thought of tomorrow... For this very end, our wise creator divided our life into little portions of time separated from each other, that we might look on each day as a fresh gift from God. That's why the way is why they call it the present. Get it? Okay. <laughs> another life which we, another day which we can devote to his glory, that every evening may be the close of life beyond which we are to see nothing but eternity. He made this, he made the lights come, he made the stars, he made the sun, the moon, he made all of this so that when he says, give us this day, it's talking about this day. 24 hours, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. That's what we're talking about every day. So I have to tell you that when I, and I may have told you this story before, but when I was growing up, and my mother had something that we didn't like for food, which happened frequently. She, for some reason, loved beets. She was way ahead of her time. Yeah. Anyway, so she would put on, and she would say, eat everything off of your plate because there are starving children in China. She would say that. And that, like, I grew up, I'm thinking that has to be true, right? So, of course, when I'm raising my children, I say the exact same thing. Everything you eat, everything off your plate, because there are starving children in China. So, anyway, one day I was at the pediatrician's office, and with my three kids, which is always fun, um, don't touch anything, okay? <laughs> you know, like, there's, like, dollhouses that they love. Don't touch it! Don't touch it! There's bad germs here. <laughs> anyway, so taking three children, and anyway, so, so the lady walks in, and um, a little, uh, kind of like my age, and she has this beautiful uh, little daughter who looked about one and a half, um, a little Chinese Asian daughter. And so I looked at her, and I was like, oh, you know, she's so, she's so petite. 
And so we started a conversation, as moms do, while we're telling them not to play it with anything. And she says, uh, and I said, oh, she said, she said, well, I just adopted my daughter from China. I said, oh, I said, she's so beautiful. She says, well, she was very, I said, she said, I'm here because she was very undernourished and, you know, we've, you know she's developmentally behind, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and she said, I said, really? I said, so she said, yeah, she was in an orphanage and she didn't get enough to eat. So when we first got her, the first week, she just ate everything she could see. And then we knew she was full, but she kept eating. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, because she thought there would n not be enough the next day. So she, they would stuff. And, and so anyway, so this is the thing. So of course, I look at my children as we're walking out <laughs> after the appointment. And I say, see, I told you, there's starving children in China. <laughs> but I have to tell you, the other story that I found in reading was um, in Korea, after the Korean War, obviously there was a lot of death of the grown-ups in Korea. They had made a lot of orphanages. And in the orphanages, the same thing was happening. Those kids were um, being fed daily, but they were, they were very agitated and they were very upset and they didn't sleep well. So somebody had the brilliant idea and they started doing this every night when the kids would go to bed they would give them a slice of bread and each one of those kids would sleep beautifully holding on to a slice of bread because see they knew that they would have bread for tomorrow so i am just telling you how is it that we doubt him who gives us way more than just bread how is that so um, uh, Carson writes, the prayer is for our needs, obviously what our daily needs are, not our greeds. <laughs> um, it is one day at a time reflecting, uh, and, and he reflects on the precarious lifestyle that many of the first century workers who were paid one day at a time, in which a few days illness would result in hunger. And this was a real deal. I don't know if you remember um, when we did bread and, and we looked at, oh, well, let me, another great example is Jesus, um, who had compassion. You know, he's teaching up a storm, and he looks up, and, and all these people are far from home. And they don't have McDonald's in that day. Um, so he says, does anybody have any food we can share? And so remember the disciples scurry around. They find the little boy with the you know, the fish and the loaves. And, well, that was what people carried around because they would carry their lunch with them because if they were watching sheep or whatever they were doing, there was no food, so they would carry their lunch around with them. And, but that's all they had. So, and we as Americans who have a fast food store on every corner cannot really get the idea that there are people that go hungry, but there are people that grow, go hungry. And that's why Jesus is saying that give us this day our daily bread. Workers in Jesus' day were paid almost always daily. So if they didn't get work, they didn't get food. Um, so let me tell you there's a balance, and I'm going to give you the balance in closing. Proverbs 30 Verses 7 to 9 says, Two things I ask of you, 
Deny them to me, do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me, here's the part, neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So there's this beautiful balance of where we need to just be content with what he gives us every day. And if we get too much, which is where most of, we, most of us, we have way too much, then we become prideful and say, I don't need him. And he looks at us like I look at Eli and say, he could not make it a day without by himself. He, he knows he needs us. Why is it that we don't know that we need him? Okay, James 4, 13 through 15. Again, here's our balance. Come now who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year and trade to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. See, there's a dailiness that God wants us to come to him and ask for things. And, and it implies that we can't do it without him. And that's a good thing. Um, and, of course, I'm going back to my favorite passage, which I read the whole thing before, but I'm going to get you just the end. Matthew 6, 33 and 34 says, But you, after he says, you know, the, the lilies, they have, they, have, they're, 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 they have beautifully robed. The birds, are the, they're, they're fed. All of this, then he goes on to say, But you, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's God's prayer to you promise to you and all these things will be added to you and what, what are the things he just said the clothes the the food whatever you need he's going to give you but your job is not to look down for all these things but to look up to his hand who is gracious and will give you everything you need um, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow was anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So let me summarize and close today with Jonathan Wesley. And this is, um, he's kind of right now, he's in the middle of explaining, he's right where we are. And that is, we just ended the, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And now he's going, this is now, this is his preface. John Wesley summarizes, Above all, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of all that believe in him, who justifies us freely from by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus, who hath blotted all our sins and healed all our infirmities, who has received us for his own children by adoption and grace, and because we are sons, has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, that we might cry, Abba, Father. And he created us anew in Christ Jesus. Do we get this great God that we have? Therefore, we know that he hears us always. Therefore, we pray to him without ceasing. Wait for it, my favorite quote. We pray because we love 
and we love him because he first loved us. Amen? Okay.